This is Stephen Strang and welcome to my podcast. Today we're going to talk about, guess what, COVID-19 is dominating everyone's thoughts, but eventually this pandemic will be over just as other pandemics in history have ended. But it will probably change a lot of things in ways that we don't totally understand. And one of the things I want to talk about is what effect it will have on the election. So today my guest is Pastor Rick Scarborough. We've known each other for years. He's highly respected as one of the pastors who has really spoken up for Christian values. So I want to welcome you, Rick, to my podcast. We've worked together on lots of things, been in lots of meetings together, and I even had the privilege of publishing a couple of your books. Good to be with you today, Steve. There's nobody in the Christian world that I respect more than you. It's a pleasure to be with you and to be a part of this very significant discussion. Clearly, COVID-19 has the attention of the entire world, and I have been a a little bit amazed at at how Christians have responded. There have been some bright, shining stars, but there's also been a lot of cowardice, and it kind of frightens me, some of the the things I see going on in the church, but I'm sure we'll get into all that as we visit for the next half hour or so. Well, you know, you're talking about a bigger issue when you talk about cowardice. An awful lot of Christians are passive, and their pastors are passive, and You know, we've written articles in our various magazines about this, and somebody suggested one time that some pastors are called into the ministry, not really because they're leaders, but because they're counselors or, you know, they want to help people. They're kind of passive types. And I I can understand that pastors need to have those traits, but really pastors should be leaders. They should tell people how to follow Jesus. They should speak up to things that are wrong in the culture. And, you know, you're an example of that. Here you were a pastor in Texas, and a lot of people don't know your story, and maybe we could just touch on it, but you went to a school board meeting. You were just outraged about some things at the schools in Texas, which, you know, we think of Texas as the buckle of the Bible belt, but what was happening that got you so riled up? Well, I got wind through one of my members that the school was sponsoring a young lady that had been very controversial all over Texas. And in fact, in a couple of high schools right there in the Houston Metroplex where I was pastoring, she had caused incredible reaction from uh, parents and others. So I tripped on down to the high school unannounced and with a pocket recorder to hear her presentation. I was told about it on Sunday. She was speaking the very next day. And Steve, what I when I walked in, I thought, you know, When I was in high school, we had sex education. I mean, you know, I'm not a prude. I understand kids need to be educated. But this was so over the top uh, that I I simply, uh, about halfway into her presentation, stood to my feet and began to respond from the auditorium. Uh, My own daughter was present and the assembly I attended. had no idea her father was in that room until that moment. We had quite a a humorous uh, exchange uh, in the course of of the remainder of that day. But I stood up, confronted the young lady. Uh, Much of what she said was factually inaccurate. She was there under the guise of protecting the kids from this new disease at that time being called GRIDS. Uh, As you recall, early on, it was gay-related immune deficiency syndrome, but that was so politically incorrect that it was soon changed to what we know today as AIDS. But she gave factually incorrect information. And so I confronted her with the truth. And uh, needless to say, that created quite a hubbub. I finally just sat down, and and uh, by that time, uh, more eyes were fixed on me than the speaker, but she went into a very emotional diatribe about her own sex life at that point, which she had not shared in the four previous assemblies that day. I got all this on tape, and so I went straight back to my office, 
I called a, a practicing attorney, a good friend of mine, who went on to be our county judge for a number of years, and uh, his nickname is Cactus. Uh, I called Cactus. I said, I've made a secret recording at the local high school. If I make it public, will I be sued? Well, I'll do this quickly because I know this is not what we're really here to talk about, but he did some research. He called me back, and while he was looking that up, I determined that the only difference in how I would react when I got the legal information was whether I would do this as a pastor or as a parent. But I was determined, Steve, that I was going to stand up to this incredibly ill-advised assembly with all the damage it was going to cause to our kids, even if it meant I would be sued. I just want to be wise about dragging the church into it. Well, when he called me back a few hours later and said, in Texas, public assembly is public information. You can do what you want. I called in our janitor. I always refer to him as our minister of miscellaneous. <laughs> I said, I want you to put on our signboard, which, by the way, was on the busiest thoroughfare on the southeast side of Houston. If you want to hear what the kids heard at PHS, Pearland High School, come Sunday morning. Well, between what I had done at that assembly, the four or 500 kids that were there in that assembly, and that signboard, you can imagine the response. Church overflowed. Chronicle reporter was there. That led to me then addressing the school board, which you uh, spoke of. And after some very uh, fractious times and a lot of controversy across the country, as a matter of fact, we wound up seeing a sea change in Pearland, Texas. Uh, I ended up writing about it, Enough is Enough, which you uh, graciously uh, put out the second edition of. I have spoken all over the country. I have spoken to as many pastors face-to-face as anyone, I think, in the movement as a result of that high school assembly, thousands and thousands of pastors. And my message since that day has been the church must stand up. We can make a difference if we show up. But tragically, so few, so few pastors are willing to do that. Thank God he has never needed a majority. He just needs a dedicated minority, of which clearly, Steve, you're one of the the, uh, the leaders in the country as a man of God who stands up. Well, thank you for saying that. But I think that all Christians need to stand up. You know, our rights have been taken away from us. It's been eroding in our lifetime, especially since the late 60s, you know, that radical era with the Vietnam War and, you know, the hippie and drug movement, and to some extent, even the civil rights movement. It was just a time of unrest in our country, several assassinations. You remember all that, a couple of Supreme Court rulings that really went against us. You know, I was in elementary school when that happened, as you probably were. And before that, we used to stand by our desks and recite the Lord's Prayer before we went to the lunchroom. You know, remarkably, Steve, in our high school, years later, we were still praying a different one each day in a public testimony. Uh, And that's because it took about 10 or 12 years for the ACLU, armed with that ruling, to go around and shut it down. But uh, you're right. We lived in a different era in this country than what our kids know today. I had the privilege of being on Fox and Friends the day after President Trump issued that executive order about prayer in schools. And we had a very good conversation, but I told kind of the old joke that as long as there are exams in school, there will be prayer, meaning, you know, of course, that all of us, I mean, I can remember in high school, I'd always pray that the Lord help me remember whatever it was before an exam. We can always pray, but it's just the idea that 
the officials in our country have said that you can't even pray. And I think it's just one example of why pastors and other Christians need to stand up for these rights. And uh, we've just seen them erode during our lifetime. And if we had longer to discuss it, it really goes back as far as Woodrow Wilson. That's really where this whole progressive thing started happening through the 20s with the Scopes Monkey Trial and communist professors in the universities in the 1930s. And, you know, we could go on and talk about history. But really, this is just a background for talking about what's happening in our country, why we have to rally the church. And you have started a new ministry, or maybe it's just a new phase of your ministry, called the Jonathan Project. And I was on a phone call the other day with pastors from all over the country. And so why don't you tell us about that and specifically what you're doing to try to rally Christians with this election coming up? I am very pleased to do that, Steve. Actually, I joined the Jonathan Project. It was founded in 2016. Mr. Peter Hershen, whom uh, some in the audience clearly will know, but when I describe his occupation and business, they'll certainly know who he is, but he owns 10 family-themed parks across America, including Silver Dollar City in Branson. He owns the Globetrotters. He owns Dolly World over in Pigeon Forge. He and his brother started more than... 25 years ago, uh, building these theme parks, they've become billionaires in the process, and the good news is they're committed Christians. Well, in 2016, Mr. Hershen called together some of the brightest political minds in the state of Missouri, along with about 10 or 12 preachers. He funded a a several-day retreat where he asked them to design what would be the perfect method of registering Christians to vote. Frankly, in 2016, he called me up and invited me to that meeting. I flew over uh, to Springfield, Missouri, and then uh, was escorted down to meet with uh, Nathan uh, uh, Adams, who is the uh, CEO of the whole project. He is a former campaign manager for a number of national and state campaigns. He is a bright political mind. They offered me the job of being the national pastor advisor at that time, but as you recall, I was uh, about 20 years into the leadership of Vision America, which has a national brand, and I just recently handed the reins of that ministry over to a good friend who I thought would take it to the next level, and my intention was to take a founder's role, back off a little bit, continue to speak, and let someone else take care of the day-to-day. Well, it, it didn't work out quite like I planned. I found myself restless. In January of this year, I got the second call from those folks, and I'd actually forgotten about the Jonathan Project. They flew their COO over to see me a second time, knowing that I was no longer heading up Vision America. And so the short of it is they offered me once again that position, uh, let me kind of design the way I would operate, but they gave me access to tools, financial underwriting that I could only have dreamed of uh, with Vision America. Now, I do want to say Vision America has gone on. They're doing great things, and uh, I commend the leadership of that organization. But Jonathan Project, because of the funding of Mr. Hershen, because of the brilliance of the way they've designed this thing, using the latest in technology, much of which he had used has used in his theme parks to be successful, I don't know enough about all of the technical aspect to get too far into those weeds, but uh, they have designed a program that is efficient, 
They provide everything that a church needs to register their people to vote, including training, even in metropolitan areas, uh, actually putting field staff in churches upon request, and all at no cost to the local church. The church can take our videos. The church can take our Bible study lessons, which we've prepared a series of lessons that can be taught up to two months in length if a church chooses to use them to educate their people about our national Christian heritage, about our founders, things I've written about that you've written and spoken about, all in a package uh, that is beautiful uh, in terms of the way it's, it's set up, but it's all free. And my role as the national pastor advisor is to recruit pastors, teach them what we offer, make sure they understand that there are no strings attached, but rather than anecdotal evidence that we've registered, you know, 2,000 new voters or are uh, 10,000 new voters in a state, we actually can track from the day that we sign them up until the day they vote. We can't discover how they vote, but the fact that they voted is public information. And the Jonathan Project has a proven track record in the states where they work of making enough difference that it turns the tide in many of these razor-thin elections. And uh, while we are a pure 501c3, we'll register anybody in that church that wants to be registered. We try to work with the most conservative churches. We don't turn any church away or anyone away for that matter, but our target audience are people with conservative theology, because as you know, if your theology is conservative, your actions will typically be conservative, God-honoring. And while someone would say this is partisan, I make no apology. I am pro-life all the way to the core. I believe that that's the essence of the Christian message. We are pro-family, pro-husband-wife marriage. We're not confused about gender. And so uh, we register conservative theological churches and the people in those churches, and the overwhelming majority, we believe, will vote biblically when they go to the polls and vote. And it's a wonderful opportunity, the best opportunity I've had in my life, and it's just like God About the time I was about to close the chapter, he opened a brand new world, and we're now registering more people to vote than I've ever had the privilege of being a party to uh, in all these years of being an advocate. So uh, the Jonathan Project, one last thing I would say, people often ask me, why did you call it the Jonathan Project? And Steve, I'm delighted to report, you know, Jonathan was a friend to the king, God's anointed one. We see the pastor, in essence, as the anointed one in a given church. And so our ministry is about being a friend to the pastor to help him in one area where perhaps he's too busy to give the kind of attention that he would like. But if if they turn us loose with the tools we offer, we befriend the pastor by teaching the people, number one, their responsibility, number two, how to. And we even go to to the extent of actually putting registrars authorized registrars in that church so that every unregistered member is registered by the time we finish that program in that church. Well, that's exciting. And at the end of the podcast, I want information so the listener can contact your ministry. But let's talk about this upcoming election. You know, a few months ago, after the impeachment and so forth, it looked like there was no way that Trump wouldn't win. Although in my book, one of the reasons I said he might lose if there was overconfidence. I mean, the economy was booming. The Democrats were having a demolition derby. And look who they ended up with as their standard bearer. You know, someone who can't even finish a complete paragraph. 
But, you know, this COVID-19 thing has sort of changed everything. So I'm interested in what you think about that. And also this thing that we're hearing in the news media now that a lot of the Democrats are wanting the entire country to vote by I'm going to call it absentee ballot. It probably has right. different names, you know, where you would va- basically vote by mail or worse than that, people going door to door and ballot harvesting, kind of like you were selling uh, Girl Scout cookies door to door or something. I mean, that is just ripe with fraud, which is another reason why I said that the president might lose is because the other side is just known to be so totally corrupt. Not everyone, of course, but... Right. I've kind of joked about it, said, isn't it interesting that dead people only vote Democrat? I mean, you know, there's places where they have found that people that have died have supposedly voted and they always vote Democratic because while the Republicans are not perfect, they do not have that history of voter fraud, at least not in my opinion. So I'm just interested in your viewpoint, especially about the COVID-19, which I hope and we pray, and the, and the signs right now are is that it'll be behind us long before the election. But some of the Democrats are wanting to like string this out and say, "Oh, nobody can go Correct. to the polls because of a shelter in place." What do you think? Well, in the first place, Steve, uh, you know what you said about fraud is so correct. I tell people every day, if you'll kill a baby, then lying or cheating is not a stretch. So uh, clearly, people who are willing to take a baby full term and literally slice it and throw it in a, a waste area, uh, they will also cheat when it comes to elections. That's why I believe that we still ought to primarily walk up and pull the lever ourselves. Uh, yes, there ought to be provisions for our soldiers uh, to vote by mail, perhaps, and we ought to have provisions for people uh, to early vote. I'm all for that, going to the polls and early voting. This COVID-19, how, how will it impact our elections? I think that First and foremost, we've got to call the church to prayer because you and I know that there is a spiritual force behind everything that happens. Uh, this is no accident, this virus. Uh, it's uh, it, In many ways, could be a lead up to, to the activities of the Antichrist. But assuming that we are going to get through this, you're right. They're going to try to use this to get their agenda through. And, and are they working overtime? Uh, We see that even right now as our president is trying to pass uh, bipartisan legislation just to keep businesses open, and the left is tacking on all kinds of funding for the new Green Deal and and, uh, things that that are just uh, absolutely non-essential and completely divorced from reality. Uh, The COVID-19 epidemic uh, is a tool in Satan's hands, and uh, that's why on our side, we we cannot be engulfed in the fear of it. I've seen tragically a lot of Christians uh, just overwhelmed and they develop a spirit of fear. Well, you and I know the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a clear and sound mind. Uh, we are to be a rational. We ought to think rationally and respond with caution. Uh, we ought to heed the medical advice and the advice of the scientist. But we also have a God who is Jehovah Rophei. We also have a God who, who has the ability to put a hedge around uh, our our person and our possessions and our people and our profession. And we Christians need to be reminded that God has not vacated the throne. Therefore, as we move into this election time, in the first place, we need to be wise and recognize how Satan is using this to equip and, and facilitate the, the efforts of those who hate our country, hate our religious freedom, 
the hostility to religion has never been more clearly revealed than the way Christians are being targeted. Uh, a thousand people can go to Lowe's and spend all uh, Sunday afternoon uh, shopping, uh, but 500 people can't gather in a church. Now, should people gather in a church? I think pastors should be wise. We ought to heed uh, the wisdom and, and uh, quarantining and spacing to stop this rapid advance of this virus is advisable. My own, my own pastor in church, we are practicing that. The fact of the matter is, learning how to do a church in this way will prepare us for a later time when when uh, it may be illegal to go to a church and it may be dangerous to go to church because the, of the activities of the Antichrist as in time prophecy goes down the track. So this could be a good thing for us to learn, but at the same time, we should not be panicked. We ought to be wary of those cases where our, our fellow pastors are being led away in, in handcuffs and thrown overnight into jail cells for exercising their religious rights and freedoms, I believe that the wise pastor should practice uh, some restraint. But all pastors should be given a religious freedom, and, and we should still treat adults as adults. We ought to have choices to make. And so uh, I may be over-answering your question, and, and if I'm missing the point, I'm happy to come back to it. But I happen to believe freedom is real. I happen to believe God is real. I happen to believe that the hedge of God is still uh, available to us who learn how to appropriate that hedge. And in these times, uh, we ought to be praying and we ought to be watching carefully to make sure we don't get sucked into a trap that's being set for us by the evil one. Very well said. And uh, as we wrap up, tell people how they can connect with you and the Jonathan Project. I'll just uh, give my own email address for, uh, for a personal email if they want to get in touch with me, rs at jonathanproject.org. Our website is jonathanproject.org. If anyone would like to contact me about how we could facilitate helping them uh, to register their people to vote, rs, Rick Scarborough, at jonathanproject.org. Uh, Steve, you're a blessed friend. Thanks for the opportunity to share this uh, with the, the hundreds of thousands of people who follow your work. Well, thank you, and I encourage my listeners to forward this podcast to others who may be interested in listening to it. Uh, be sure to contact uh, the ministry. And also, while people have more time on their hands, I encourage them to read my book, God, Trump, and the 2020 Election. Of course, it's available on Amazon even now and also in Sam's and Walmart, which are still open. And I'm happy to say that the reports are that it's still doing fairly well. And what I'm saying is that after this COVID-19 thing is past us, the issues that were important, the religious liberty issues, the issues about life, the issues about the direction that the left is going and how they would run this country if they get into power, those are still valid. So I encourage you to check out the book. And thank you, Rick Scarborough, for being my guest today. And my thank pleasure. And thank you to my listeners for listening to my podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. God bless you.